Brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. Don't leave home without it. This is an Adventureland Media Production. The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. In 1943, the world has gone to war on two fronts. The fates of nations have been thrown into the winds of history. In Southern California, a team of ex-flying Tiger pilots have come together as a request from the President of the United States. Their job? To use their special military skills to protect the American people from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Together, they are the terrors of the skies. This is the story of The Lost Tigers. Tonight's episode, Fei Hu. Once again, dear listeners, we return to the forest villa of that nefarious Axis villain, Colonel Sato. As the afternoon tea ends, we find the Japanese army officer outside his high walls, enjoying some target practice with his men. If you wanted to plunge my family into the criminal underworld with your antics, you succeeded. I am the product of the Dishonor before the Emperor, but you need me now, don't you, Hirohito? Or, should I say, your war ministers need me. Your turn, Sensei. Here, take the rifle. Thank you. Good shot. Thank you for the compliment. Even if it is a total lie, I haven't hit a target yet. Yes, Sensei. And quit bowing. You don't have to agree with everything I say. I'm not going to kill you. Yet. Yes, Sensei. Give me a katana, a longbow, a naginata, or even bare hands, and I can slay with the best. I will always be better with steel than gunpowder. I'll say. You couldn't hit the broadside of Shogun's castle if you were right next to it. Well, well. If it isn't the always refreshingly sweet spy from... Who knows where? Easter, I'm glad you finally decided to grace me with your presence. I had more pressing concerns I had to deal with before I drove all the way up here in the sticks. Very important concerns. Let me guess, you had secret documents to deliver to someone, no? Or how about you needed to poison some enemy political figure? No, wait, wait, I got it. You figured out a way to decode the U.S. Army's communications? I had to do my nails. What else could be more important? Of course. Give me that! Child's play. You have something for me? Of course. Do you have a drink for me? Of course. After you give me the item. 
Oh, how positively droll you are, Colonel. Here you go. One rare two-century-old red jade dragon. I'm not sure what it does, but the dragon lady seemed to think it vitally important. This looks like a tourist trinket. I could find one in any of the shops in Chinatown for a dollar. Not this one, dear. It is a red jade. Red jade is difficult to find at best, anywhere. In addition, this one was designed by the Sisterhood as a way of accessing the countless warriors down there. How? How should I know? I'm just the sneakin'. Find the object, steal it from the, uh, Chinese white girl, then killer kind of messenger. Not even that. Why would you say that? The item is in your hands. That may be, but you failed to kill Miss Lee. She was picked up and taken back to base by the tigers. The dragon lady told her much before she disappeared. What? I tossed her over the side with my bullwhip. You need to be a little more thorough in your, uh, executions. I thought you were an expert. I am an expert. You'll never find better. <laughs> expert? I'll send in ninjas next time I need something Ninjas? Done. Really? <laughs> I didn't think such futile examples of lost time still existed in this modern age. We use many things that you civilized people consider outdated. If I want someone to do infiltration work in the future, I'll choose someone other than a pretty mercenary. You should have gone back to find the Dragon Lady. I suspect she gave Miss Lee information we could have used. Now she's gone. Where'd she go? As the name suggests, back into the shadows. Could have caught her if you weren't spending so much time painting your toes. Looks like I'm quicker than you, Colonel. I could cut your throat and be gone before your men can do anything to stop me. Maybe the Americans will pay more for the Red Dragon. What are you doing? You would never get away with this. Wanna bet? I give me excellent odds. <coughs> Easter! Stop it! You've proven your point! As you wish. Now let's not argue. I'm thirsty. I'll take some tea now. As you say, I will need to be more careful with you in the future, young lady. No need. Since my image with the Americans is now a bit tarnished, I'll be working with the Baron from now on. So if you'll just bring me my pay, I'll be on my way. It's probably best you stick with your own kind. Taisho! Please be so kind to bring the young lady a stool, some tea, and my checkbook. That's the little sad man I've come to know so well. Oh, I've brought you a present. And what would that be? Once you open the tomb, the people down there need some guidance. I've taken the liberty of borrowing an ancient Chinese suit of armor from the museum downtown. You'll need to wear that if you expect to lead Imperial troops. Good thinking. I appreciate that. So you weren't doing your nails after all. I'm getting thirsty, Colonel. You wouldn't like me if I'm thirsty. In the round Quonset building that served as the Lost Tigers Research and Development Lab on the airbase, Professor Dunfer busied himself with tuning his newest invention, an invention that could save them all. All right, Miss Bang, if you don't mind, from the top. Pretty. You know, I haven't heard you play the flute since I came back to the States. I forgot how much I miss it. Stop interrupting her, Major. We have work to do. I'm sorry. What are you doing? Calibrating the sound of the flute with the device to create a kind of harmonic. 
That's uh, that's fascinating. <clears throat> Starbuck, come here. Good lord, what is that? It looks like a toy robot, and it's coming this way. That, dear sir, is Starbuck. It is a robot, only this one actually works. Well, what does it do? Not much yet. It brings me coffee, but someday... Look at that! The dome on its little head is opening, and there's a, a cup of coffee inside. It does have some rudimentary thinking skills, like my bugs. This one can walk around, retrieve a few things, and runs on only 10D batteries. It's the things it does that aren't programmed that surprises me. Like what? What, it, what is it doing? It walks into walls on its own, uh, goes to the wrong person, and occasionally gives me a good cussing. Like that. Did you hear that? I think there's a ghost in the machine. Well, that's hilarious. I've never seen anything like it. I doubt this kind of thing will ever take off, though. Robots? <laughs> we'll see. It's this machine that will do us the most good right now. Well, I'm wondering, how will the flute and this thing help us, Doctor? If there are ancient Chinese countrymen locked away under the soil around here, we can use Feng Shui to cleanse them and then send them back to the heavens. So wh what is Feng Shui? Chinese system of aesthetics, which uses the laws of both heaven and earth to affect one's cheese. I'm hopeful that we can combine the east and west here to come up with some kind of technology that will assist in the removal of the negative, what do you call it, Pakua in the tomb, before the Axis powers make use of it. I'm sure the whole thing is just a fancy chase set up by the enemy to keep us busy. There's no way a bunch of armored Asian soldiers is still alive in this uh, lost tomb. They turned to dust a long time ago, if there's any truth to the story at all. I have a theory about that. Well, what's that? The Germans think the army is still alive down there, and they're prone to these kinds of fairy tales. Yeah, I remember that whole Lost Ark of the Covenant story. It turned out to be an unfounded rumor. We never heard anything about that again. Other than the occasional equipment theft, there is no viable German threat here in California. The Japanese, however, could use such an army to cause enough chaos to invade the mainland. It means the Japanese think they can be reanimated somehow. How could anything like that be possible? My cousin Emmett was working on a theory about the flow of time itself, about its capacity to move in flux. I'm assembling a device now to negate the flux, using feng shui principles as a guide. The Dragon Lady said that the great machine in the caves uses feng shui and ancient technology to keep the survivors alive. It's another fine-looking contraption you've built there, Doc. Looks like something H.G. Wells would have dreamed of. What are you doing to it? I'm using Miss Bang's flute to set the right frequency for the Omniflux. You think it'll work? I hope so. Nobody's ever mixed Chinese mysticism and American ingenuity together before. Interesting. It looks like two lighthouse Fresnel lenses, cut into strips and overlapped into a half-spherical frame. Indeed. The glass overlapping in scales like that is the only material strong enough to withstand the intense energy stored in the core. Yeah, I can see it suspended down there in between the spheres with those brass tubes. It's pulsing white. Looks kind of dangerous. It can be if not properly controlled. The energy in that little black globe could level this city if it was released. What kind of energy is it? That is a state secret. I have the highest clearance. You can tell me. Not if I didn't get it through official channels. I got it from my cousin Emmett. Come on, Doc. That could be of real use in this war. Trust me, a variation of this is under development as we speak, unfortunately. 
My applications tend to be used for more peaceful purposes. What exactly does it do? Once I release the energy, the two halves spin in opposing directions at high velocity, creating a sort of bubble in space. The resulting pulse releases whatever interspatial disruption is occurring in the area and normalizes linear space. Wow, sounds like you're speaking Chinese to me. <laughs> no, that's English, all right. You're not supposed to understand it. Just be happy you have me to help you out with things like this. Oh yeah, you should be happy you have me to help you build okay, it. Okay, okay, enough of that. We need both of you. So, William, tell us about your days as a flying tiger and why you're here with us now. I think that would take all day. We appear to have plenty of time. Well. It all started with the day Shrunken Head Ned came into our lives. That was the beginning of the end for me. Let's hear it. It was about, I guess, two years ago on a dark night in Kunming, in China. Those are the kind of dark nights we never get around here in Los Angeles. Diego, myself, and some of the ground crew, including Miss Lee here, were hanging out in the jeep on the runway awaiting the return of Flight B from the north. I heard this sputtering sound, and we all looked skyward. I'll never forget the time when. Plane coming from the southwest. Shouldn't be one of ours. Sounds like it's in trouble. I see it. It is in trouble. And, and it's on fire. We're going to need emergency equipment. There's no time for that. She's coming down right now. Get the trucks out here. We're going to need their headlights to light up the runway. It's not one of ours. How can you tell? It's dark as pitch with no moon. You hear those engines? That's a Hawker Hurricane. It's a British ship. You know what? I think you're right, kid. I can see the blue and white circular markings of the RAF on the wing. Fire looking the cowling is lighting it up like a target. There she goes. She's belly landing in the gravel. Let's go. She's down. Let's get that pilot out of there. Will and Diego popped the hatch on the flaming fighter and watched as a figure emerged unscathed dressed in a proper British military RAF uniform. He removed his flight helmet and life vest to reveal matching khaki jacket and pants, army boots, gaiters, and a Webley pistol in a holster on his waist. His jacket was embroidered with Royal Air Force insignia, his rank, and a New Zealand shoulder badge. His merry face sported a wide gray mustache attached to matching sideburns. All three rescuers were impressed. I say, that was a close one, huh? Hey, are you okay, mister? Oh, yeah, lad. Just another fancy landing. Get back! She might blow! Oh, my gosh, what happened? I was heading up from Chittagong when I was jumped by four Nakajima KI-27s right out of the cloud cover. I don't know how they saw me in the dark, but they laid into me good. Just about shot my bolt. Took one out, but kicked just behind the prop with a string of traces. That's extraordinary. Uh, how far away were these nates anyway? Only ten miles away, but heading west, away from here. You'll never catch them, even if you scramble now. Huh? 
wonder why nothing was reported on the network. Well, I probably can't see them. It's an INJF on a fuselage, and there's an animal painted on it. It's a kangaroo! Yes, I'm with the Royal New Zealand Air Force. 67th Squadron, on loan from the RAF. You don't have a Kiwi accent. I'm from the United Kingdom. Scotland, actually. So how did you get all the way down here? I'm on loan, as a request from the Air Chief Marshal Harris. My name is Edward Henry Scott. I'm not a Kiwi, just flying with them. Well, Mr. Scott, let's get you off this runway so the fire team can take care of your hurricane. We got some good coffee in the alert shack. Oh, just call me Ned, please. And I uh, hate to be a bloody bother, but uh, do you have any tea? We Brits prefer that, if you don't mind. Well, well, we'll see what we can do. Dinner is on at the aerodrome soon. We got coleslaw, potato salad, and chicken. If you need a shower, I'll pay for one of those native boys to the water. The next morning, the unlikely visitor was led into a small teakwood classroom in the operations building and was immediately beset by questions from the surprised pilots and ground crew of the American Volunteer Group. They gathered around the middle-aged veteran pilot, eager for news from the battlefield. Let's listen in. Now, now, calm down, lads. There is no attack coming. I was ambushed and the enemy fled. That's all there is to it. What are you doing so far east? Last I heard, you guys were pulling out of Burma and heading to India. They even bombed the docks, cranes, and warehouses, all that war material left behind. <clears throat> I refused to go. I wanted to come up here and help you Yanks. <clears throat> Seems you got yourselves into a jolly good mess in this country. The Japanese know you're here, even if you do fly old British Lend-Lease planes with Chinese markings. They're not that stupid, you know. We are learning that firsthand. You know, we could use you if British Air Marshal Robert Brooke Popham will release you. I have my papers right here. I probably will need a spot of work on my ship, though. It's about time there was some Allied representation from the King when the Flying Tigers next bear their teeth. At ease, men. How did it go, Commander? Okay, not bad. We got 14 of those meatballs from this afternoon's run. Cross didn't come back, though. Cross, huh? We were wondering who it was, poor guy. <sighs> That's a rotten break. You know, that could have been any of us. Yeah, he was trying to dogfight too many of them at the same time, like the old man says, not to dogfight them, dive on them. Well, in the first dive, he picked off two, and then when he came up again, he tried to get another from behind, but he got machine gun, was unloaded on him, and he got it all right. His ship practically exploded in his face. His right wing folded up on him, and he fell out of the sky and into a rice field near the lake. How many were in that flight? There were about 60 in total, 40 in the first wave, and squadrons of four, eight squadrons, ten in the next. Well, at least you got a good score. That's 14 to one. Not too bad, Navy boy. Wait a minute, airman. It is bad. Cross was one of the best hot shots we had. He'll be a great loss to the Hells Angels and the... AVG. 
Never forget them. Well, I know these men. How did they pick you for a transfer? I run a tight ship. They wanted you to have the best there is. Don't let them fool you. They were trying to get rid of us. You guys shoot down into your ray? Yeah, I got three. I've got five, and one probable. That's $500 each, whenever the good Madam Sung Mei Ling deems fit to pay up. Well, being in that hellhole jungle down there in Burma taught us a few things. Like what? Yeah, it's not about the money. You know that. We've seen the horrors of the bomb cities. We're working for the people of China. Agreed. Good to know you California boys have a heart. Hey, what is Fei Hu anyway? Fei Hu, it's Chinese for the nickname given to us by the people of China after they saw our first engagement with the Japanese. They called us Flying Tigers. Well, I heard about the silly Flying Tigers movie that came out back in the States. It was a pretty bad representation of what you're doing out here. Who the heck advised Republic Films on that one? There were actually two administrative clerks that were uh, discharged uh, dishonorably from our unit. I guess they went back to Hollywood to try to make a buck. At least it had John Wayne in it. He is the best. Well, the newsreels tell the real story. When Pearl Harbor happened, we were the only battle-tested American pilots in the whole Pacific. Well, some of us were. (laughs) (laughs) The old man asked me to lead a patrol along the Salween River to help the Chinese Army with a little morale flight. He says I need to practice. You do, my friend. Did you all draw straws? We sure did. And I'm guessing you won. No, I lost. (laughs) God save us all from the smart-ass barnstormer. By the way, who is the snazzy London town dresser over there? Flight Lieutenant Scott, sir, reporting for duty as required by the King of England. How may I be of service? You can start by getting out there and helping Bing. Look, we're going to need you and your plane in this part of the world from now on. This isn't Hyde Park, and this isn't Kiwi Adventureland. Welcome to the Flying Tigers. The next morning found the members of the Hells Angel Squadron grouped together, high over the Salween River, looking for a convoy of Japanese troops reported working their way north. The dark green and brown camel paint on the skin of the fighters hid them well from enemy fighters. Only the Disney-designed winged tigers behind the cockpit gave them away. Outside his domed cockpit, William Sin watched proudly as his fellow tigers lined up almost wingtip to wingtip, the exhaust from their Allison's glowing blue in the dawn light. He could make out Diego's merry smile from the darkness of his ship's interior. He pulled the headphones tight over his crush cap and spoke loudly into the throat mic. Sin to all pilots. Sin to all pilots. Ned and Diego, get up to 20,000 feet. Cover us from the clouds. Neil, Hill, Smith, and the rest of you birds, follow me down. On the first pass, hit them from the north to south. Let's go, boys. Scott is quadrant. Watch for the south end of the turn of the river. There may be machine gun nests on those trucks. We'll see them there all week. One after the other, the squadron of worn-out fighter aircraft screamed down above the riverbanks, laying down heavy fire with their winged machine guns. Jungle foliage shredded above the road, revealing the hidden convoy on the road above the brown water. 
Gibbs into Neal, Hill and Smith. Nice going, boys. Now to do it again. That's it, boys. We polished off about three troop trucks, a tank, and about 30 men in those two passes. Too bad this isn't going to score sheet, William. We would have cleaned up. Enemy troops on wheels and in boots don't count, I'm afraid. Wedge, your ship's smoking. What's the matter? Are you in trouble? Just a couple of lucky shots from a 20-millimeter anti-aircraft cannon. I saw them wheel it out as we passed. I'll have it out in no time. Garcia and all pilots, we have a sighting up here. Any enemy planes coming in from the east at 10,000. Dan and I are going down to meet them. Watch yourself, boys. Send a wedge. Come along, kid. Let's kick it upstairs and give the boys a hand. I can certainly try. Pressure's going down to zero. I might have to bail out. I can't stay with you. Get clear, Wedge. You can't do any more good back there. Best of luck to you, pal. Sorry, boss. I had no time to watch my English pilots apart as we closed the Japanese formation. Our shark-mouthed P-40s tacked out of the sun, firing down on the enemy bombers in a fury of sound and bullets. The seasoned flying tigers turned and dove, lined up the cates in our gun sights, and just kept firing. The outer edge of the formation was torn to bits on the outside. It was pure hell. We loved it. Correction, boys. There's only six of us now. I hope that boy makes it home. Here we go. Drop on down through the formation, lads. I love these kitty hawks. This one's for my dear old mom and Surrey. There's nothing like this. Feeling of the plane moving in our seat. Field sticking, trigger the guns, the crack in the center of the 30 caliber wing guns, the slow thud of the 50 caliber nose gun, the sudden smell of cordite filling the cockpit, the tracers crossing the sky, searching for the big red targets on the enemy planes. Especially my heart wasn't pounding so hard, or my bladder wasn't ready to burst. What was that, Will? It sounded like you were saying something through your throat, Mike. Nothing, buddy. Just thinking out loud. Let's get back to the base, everybody. The job is done. later we gathered at hostel number one near the airfield and awaited the arrival of our stoic commander Colonel Chenault. This guy we called the old man. We noticed that General Clayton Bissell was in town too and none of us liked that guy. Our pleasant backwater at the war was about to become nasty. I'll tell you something Will. Bad news is afoot. It's like that mission we took in the Solwing River back in Burma. Wedge never made it back. Smith said he saw his plane falling in flames about 14 miles from the border. 
think he bailed out. Yeah, that was a tough break for the kid. And I thought he would survive every mission we ever threw at him. Well, but you're right, Ned. I got a bad Good afternoon, everyone. The old man wanted me to let you know there's going to be a meeting in a moment. He's on his way and wants to talk to everyone. Now what? You know, it's probably not good news. Well, I don't think it'd get any worse. Afternoon, men. I have important information I think you should all know about. Oh, here goes. There was an assembly of all of ABG members earlier, but you were out on patrol. I'm here to pass down a message from General Bissell. The AVG is going to be disbanded on July 4th, folded into the USAAF China Air Task Force. As a Settle down, please. Look, we can't have our people out here getting paid $600 a month, plus $500 bonus for each enemy plane shot down, when the rest of the pilots from home are working for the going rate. I can't believe it. How did this happen? Well, it was bound to happen. Doesn't affect me, I'm afraid. Stillwell promoted me to general and ordered me to have my pilots inducted into the United States Army Air Force. He's asking to have volunteers to train the new men coming in. Sounds reasonable. Uh, there's a catch. All the remaining AVG pilots will be going back to the regular U.S. Army rate. That's a huge pay cut. That's the going rate. Can't have you guys making three times what everybody else makes. It's not fair. But, but we're seasoned flyers and crew. Show me another unit with the same flight experience like that in the Air Corps. Huh? I understand, but the decision has already been made. I'm sorry, boys. I'm not going to do it. Our signed agreement with you before we left to come here was that when our tour of duty was over, we would go back to our previous jobs with no loss of previous pay or rank. I'm afraid that's not going to happen now. It's a contract. Look, I understand how you feel. I'm not going to do it. I know a lot of you are feeling the same way. Almost all of you refuse to remain with the unit. Almost? What do you mean, almost? Yeah, only five pilots, including Tex Hill and Bob Neal, accepted the commissions and agreed to stay on for two weeks for the transition period. They hope to have the new unit, the U.S. 23rd Fighter Group, up and running two weeks later. I will resign and go back home before I'm going to do any of that. You could, but the second you step off the gangplank, there will be a representative of the U.S. Army waiting to draft you into the service as a private. What? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We've already given a good year in hard combat, shot down 297 planes. Isn't that worth anything? I didn't think there would be a need for such strong-arm tactics, Colonel. Look, I agree with you. I was here, too, remember? This is a bunch of crap. I'm getting out of here before I do something I'll regret later. Anybody else want to go into town and find a bar? You know, I'm right behind you, Will. Ah, I could do with a pint myself. Men, please, listen. This letter from the War Department speaks of the AVG becoming the 23rd Fighter Group. The Army is going to convert the AVG to regular U.S. Army units. It's impossible to secure a steady flow of planes, supplies, and men outside of the regular military. All pilots will get lump sum payments for the difference between their Army salaries and what was due from their original CAMCO contracts, plus all leave not taken. You can throw in $500 travel expenses to get home, too, if you stay. Hey, fellas, come on back. What the hell's wrong with you guys? 
Later, in the Silver Strand restaurant in Kuming, Gunny, William, and Ned are drunk. They bemoan the way they were treated by their own government after so many months of service and so many victories. Mr. Sin, there's a man looking for you from the OSS. Well, did you happen to tell him I was pissed drunk and not available to talk to any more idiots from Uncle Sam? No, sir. Well, then, go tell him, would you, buddy? I'll buy a drink when you get back. I can't do that. He was very insistent. Well, tell him to... What's that the Brits say? Bugger off! A tall, thin young man dressed in civilian clothes approaches the group cautiously. A small smile on his face. Well, I can only guess what bugger off means. But we have an expression like that in Texas. It's not very nice at all. Who the hell are you and what do you want, partner? My name is Agent Johnson. I'm an OSS operative working for the United States military on special assignment through the South Pacific. Well, okay, Mr. Johnson. That's even your real name. I'll ask again. What do you want? You're ruining a perfectly good binge uh, here. I understand you've just been ordered to train your own replacement. Are you going to take that line down? Who's been talking? Your CO. Look, we understand you have some long-term flight experience. Is that true? That would be no. You need to check your sources, buddy. We did, William Robertson. Your flying career began in 1918 for the U.S. Mail Service, where you flew mail around the San Francisco Bay Area. In 1931, you took up barnstorming and flew cargo until you landed a co-pilot position on a China Clipper in 38. Am I missing something? Look, what do you want? You were educated at the University of Hawaii where, because of a girl, you took up acting on stage in school production. The professor said you had special skills with makeup, disguise, and impersonation. Went around fooling people. Is that true? You're an idiot, sir. Being a thespian in Manoa Valley does not for a spy make. We also know your uncle taught you tracking and hunting skills in Lake County as a teenager. And that you volunteered for war games when you joined the army, that you were a pilot from the moment you joined. True, true, true. You're a genius. I know. We know you can fly, disguise yourself, have radio knowledge, and you're not married. Combined, those are perfect skills for an OSS agent. Well, your information is all true, mister. Now get lost. I've had nothing but bad news today. Look, Mr. Sin, I'm not going anywhere just yet. I also heard you have a black mark on your record. You know, to the United States military, I'm a washed-up old man, but... I'm going to have to whip this pup. Look, I, I understand you were recommended for theft by a superior officer last year, just before you recruited to the AVG. Is that true? Yep. Colonel McLeod took something I found, and I wanted it back. He said it was his, but finder's keepers. He broke into his safe and stole the item. What was it? Japanese sword? You were in and out in three minutes flat. That skill. That was child's play. Are you familiar with the cities you flew through while piloting the Boeing Clippers? Yeah, my flight plan took me through San Francisco, Honolulu, Midway, Wake, Guam, Hong Kong, and I think Manila. Lots of pretty girls in those places. Sounds like you would be a perfect fit for our organization. You have all the makings of an OSS agent. Saboteur, raider, vehicle, and weapons expert. Just like those guys from the long-range desert group in North Africa. Hey, pal. Is he being interrogated? No, sir. He's been recruited by the OSS. That's our new military intelligence department. 
Please report to the office behind the custom house by 0900 tomorrow for briefing. I'm not going anywhere but back to Honolulu. I'm tired. We've been fighting nonstop for almost a year now. I know you will be there, sir. I know your type. Get out of here before I get thrown into jail. So, buddy, what are you going to do? Looks like we're both done here in the Far East. Well, I'm not going to train my own replacement. The Marine Corps wants me back. But they're sticking it to me. They won't even let me fly. They're making me a gunnery sergeant. What? Why? The USS Hornet apparently doesn't need any pilots. I'm not rated for the current crop of F-4U Corsairs anyway. But my old CO knows I have extra field use of artillery from Camp Pendleton. I'll have 180 men under my command. Well, that's excellent news. As for me, I don't think I'm ever going to trust my own government again. You know as well as I that we'll still do our jobs. Why? Because we love our country. The next morning found William on the edge of the airbase, standing hesitantly in front of a converted Chinese store, looking at a sign that read, Office of Strategic Services, Detachment 202, Major General Williams Donovan Commanding. He knew the nondescript office was a wartime intelligence agency, the equivalent of the British Secret Service. As bitter as he felt over his treatment in the ABG, he didn't want to go back to the States. Not yet. The young agent's invitation had intrigued him more than he liked. The thought of espionage, propaganda, and surveillance behind enemy lines would be his world from now on. William Sin reporting for duties. Thank you, Will. I understand Chenault's agreement with you boys was that most of you were to be promoted to major with your induction to the regular Army Air Corps. You may retain that rank on all future missions. First up, lose the uniform. We don't want you looking like a soldier from this point on. You'll look like whatever the mission calls for. We have a lot of new gadgets and toys for you to get the job done. Your first stop, Luzon, in the Philippines. There's a POW camp there. We need you to sneak into it, Major Will. Stay tuned next time as the Flyers decide to even the odds against the Axis forces and shut down their invasion plan. Remember... Now is the time to join the fight. Whenever the enemy threatens our freedom, wherever liberty lies in the shadows, however difficult the mission, the Lost Tigers will be there. The Lost Tigers, The Shadow of Evil is a non-profit production and a fan fiction. A celebration of all the writings, films, and audio of great adventurers throughout time. All music and sound effects belong to their originators. No copyright infringing claims are intended.
This Adventureland Media production was created by Alan Douglas and Renee Garcia. Written by Alan Douglas, directed by Renee Garcia. Vocal effects, mixing, and music by Alan Douglas. Sound editing courtesy of Audacity. Opening music by RoyaltyFreeMusic.com. This show was produced on an Apple computer using WordPress for the website. Copyright 2011. This Lost Tigers radio drama featured the voice talents of... Steven Tyler as the narrator. Brian Kinoshita as Mr. Awol. Renee Garcia as Gunny Garcia. Alan Douglas as Major Will. Jennifer Garcia as Kissimmee Kate. Daniel Shippey as Shrunken Head Ned. Rachel Fewings as La Bang. Dara Lansing as Dr. Dunford. Kyle Goto as Colonel Sato. Michelle Ferry as Agent Easter. John Johnson as Agent Johnson. Tom Constable as Colonel Chenault. Charles Michael as Robert Neal. David Steinbeck as Robert T. Smith. Ron Voss as Wedge. We're here on a deserted stretch of beach on the Gulf Coast. Washed up on this and so many other beaches every year are tons and tons of seaweed. For centuries, nobody knew what to do with it all. But then, smart scientists like me... And me... ...decided to make this renewable resource into a high-octane motor fuel. And that's how Oshaline was born! When you pull in at the pump at your local Oshaline station, you'll always find three high-quality choices for your motoring needs. Regular Oshaline, the long-time favorite with everyday motorists. Oshaline with Kelpinate, the miracle additive to give you more miles per dollar. And high-octane Sargasso, with both Kelpinate and Celadine for a cleaner engine and better efficiency. Ask your Oshaline dealer for advice on which of the three is better for your car. You stop at Oshaline. You go with conviction. Proudly manufactured by the Full Patrol Corporation. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.